If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 22. And I know some of you are thinking we're never going to get away from 1 Samuel 22. We've been on it for about three weeks, and Lord willing, we hope to move past 1 Samuel 22 today. But I don't apologize for taking my time and studying this out and going through this because, Lord willing, if I can share with you some of the things that the Lord's laid on my heart, I hope it'll be a blessing to all of us. So we're going to read some of what we've already read here in 1 Samuel 22. And as I studied about David hiding in the cave and then the Lord sending him into the the high forest uh, near Keilah, which we'll see here in just a moment, it occurred to me that what David is doing is he's hiding in the praises of God. And that's the title of the message. Hiding in the praises of God. You may not have any place that you can turn to, it feels like, at times in your life. But you can always turn to the praises of God. God is always praiseworthy for something. Sometimes it may be kind of hard to find that because of our rejectedness or our loneliness or whatever the situation, the trouble that we're in. But because of the character of God, He is always praiseworthy and we can hide ourselves in His praises. And the reason I say that is David's doing more than hiding in a cave and he's doing more than hiding in a forest. He's also composing these psalms as he goes through this. And now remember, he wasn't doing this when he was down in Gath acting like a, a madman. He wasn't doing this when he was on the run from Saul. But now he is doing that. He is composing beautiful psalms that all of us can still relate to if we'll let it relate to us. So let's read again, beginning in verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was in discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. You see the different language that David is speaking now that he is hiding in the praises of God. Now he's not just determining, well, I'll go here and I'll go there. Now he is waiting to see what God will do for him and guide him to do. And he brought them before the king of Moab, his parents, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. The significance of David bringing his family to Moab is because David's couple great-grandmother was from Moab. You remember a young woman years before whose name was Ruth? She was a Moabitist. These were relatives of David in distant way back. Verse 5, And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, or don't stay in this cave. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. The cave Adullam was on the border of the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hareth. So David is literally hiding in the praises of God. He's praising God now. He is writing psalms. You may recall Psalm 34 comes out of this, which was a public praise Psalm 142, which was a private prayer, and Psalm 57, which we're going to focus more on today, was a personal plea from David. 
And he comes into this high forest in the land of praise. The reason I say the land of praise is because this is the land of Judah. Judah means praise. So he's living in praise, literally, from a physical standpoint. This is the land of praise. And the forest of Hareth, according to history, was a high forest, high up into the mountains. And so you can think about how the cave Adullam was a cave of mazes. There was only one way known in, but there were many ways that you could sneak out. And so David could defend himself if anybody came after him or any of his men. And now the prophet Gad directs David from the Lord to go up into this high forest. And it's a hidden forest in the land of praise, the land of Judah. So he tells him to go up into this. It's about one mile from a town called Keilah, which as we continue in the series, you'll see there's a real significance to the town of Keilah, what David does for Keilah, and in turn, what Keilah would do to David. But it's about a mile up in the mountains from Keilah. It's through inaccessible ravines. I mean, you literally had to climb up into this forest, and it would have been easily reached just a few miles from the cave Adullam. And I want you to take stock of where David is. I want you to think about where he is now living, hiding in the praises of God up in this high forest in the land of Judah. He went from running in fear, having no food, having no weapons, scared, desperate, feigning madness, acting like a madman. And now here he is surrounded by at least some of his family. We know he has deposited his parents with uh, the king of Moab, but he has his brothers now. He's surrounded by a troop. And I've joked and said, you know, these guys were really a bunch of losers, you know, distressed, discontented, and in debt. But they become national heroes eventually. And now he's in safety up in the mountain. He's been appointed as the captain of these men, and he's filled with praise. That's quite a difference, isn't it? And you may be thinking, how in the world could a man who's on the run from a deranged leader who has been deposed as the king, you know, Saul is no longer the king. David is the rightful king. But how could he experience these joyous things in the midst of all of this chaos? That's the mystery of God right there. That's the mystery of God. And unless you're looking, unless you're watching the Lord, unless you're attending to the Lord and living in the praises of God, hiding in His praises, you won't know what this is talking about. We cannot know this. That's how good the Lord is. And that's the mystery of God. That in the midst of terrible circumstances, He can let us feel His presence. But we have to be looking for Him. We have to be saying things like David says, you know, I want to know what God is going to do for me. You know, let me wait and see what God is going to do for me. So this is a lesson today in praise. Look at Psalm 57 if you would. When we hide ourselves in the praises of God, it's a symbiotic thing. That just means it works together with God hiding us in His praises. You catch that? When we hide ourselves in God's praises, God will hide us in His praises, in His own praises. In Psalm 57, this is one of the Psalms that was born from the fires of persecution towards David. He wrote this in the cave. And I can only imagine that this psalm was floating around in his head as he climbs up with ropes probably, or at least through the ravines, the footpaths to get into the high forest above Keilah. I can imagine that this was in his mind. Listen to what he says. Be merciful unto me, O God. 
Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. While he climbed, do you think that was on his mind? In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. Now, this is most likely a reference to Deuteronomy 32, where it speaks of trusting in the Lord, you know, the Lord like the wings of eagles. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, he says he will, you know, bear us up on wings of eagles. So I was talking to Sister Tracy about this. She loves the eagles analogies. We, we talk about that. I'm not talking about the singing group, the eagles. I'm talking about eagles from the Word of God. And so we talked about this. You know, an eagle, a mother eagle, it's believed, will teach her hatchlings to fly sometimes by bearing them on her wings. And sometimes she'll just push them out of the nest and fly down with them and make sure that they don't hit the ground. That's one of the ways that eagle learns to fly. But understand, this is talking about the shadow of the wings. Sometimes I look up in the sky and I'll see these huge birds that look like dots. Usually they're, I hate to say it, but usually they're buzzards around our place. We have had a few kites around there, and I don't mean the flying kites. I'm talking about birds that are known as kites, very similar to eagles. And you look way off up under there, uh, off in the distance, and you see these birds flying. And they're huge. And, you know, technically, if you look up and you see an eagle flying above you, technically you are under the wings of that eagle. Do you get that? I mean, you may not experience the shadow of that, but technically you are under the wings because it's so far up. And that's the way it is with the Lord and with our experience with the Lord a lot, is it not? You know, he, he just seems so far away and so far up that we just can't experience the shadow of the wings because he's, he, he seems so far away. But we're still under his wings, you see. I've had some very personal experience with Psalm 57. I guess it was probably 12 or 13 years ago when... Elder David Crawford and I were had this two-week plan to go over to the African nation of Ghana, teach and preach there for about eight days, and then fly across Africa over to uh, Tanzania, and we were going to have teaching and preaching there for about another seven or eight days. That's, that trip was sort of cursed from the beginning. <laughs> That's just the way things go sometimes. But as Brother David and I met there at the Atlanta airport, and we spent three or four hours catching up, rejoicing, planning, talking, preaching to each other, praying. And we just sat there and sat there and sat there until finally, three or four hours later, they called and they said, okay, it's time to board the plane for Ghana. And so we both went up there. And and when the guy said, have your visas ready when you come to the desk, you know, something kind of went off in my head. I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And so, sure enough, we get up there to the desk, and the attendant says, let me see your visa. And Brother David had not bought his visa. He was expecting to buy his visa when he got to the gate in Ghana. But we didn't know the regulation was, I already had mine, but we didn't know the regulation was that you had to have the visa before you went. So I did the best lawyer talking that I could possibly do. I made the greatest closing arguments that you've ever heard in your life. But they would not budge. And so basically, I'm standing there looking at Brother David, and I'm going, well, we got two choices here. 
I can fly on by myself and be over there by myself for eight days, or I can just miss that flight and stay with David and see what happens, see if we can get on into Tanzania earlier. And I guess I lost my mind, so I decided to go ahead. And I, I'll never forget walking down the ramp and looking back and <laughs> waving at Brother David. In my mind, in my silly mind, I'm thinking, you know, this plane is going to crash and God has just saved David Crawford, you know. <laughs> That was on my mind all the way down the ramp. I was just trembling, walking, trying to find my seat, thinking, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. Plane's going to crash. Y'all think stuff like that? I mean, you know, God saved David, but here I'm going to die. <laughs> that was on my mind until I got settled down in my seat. And you know how sometimes you, you just open up your Bible? Y'all ever do that? You know, you just, you don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. You decide just to open it up and see what the Lord's got for you. Surely you've experienced that. I'm not the only crazy one. So I did that, pulled out, I believe it was this Bible. I opened it up, Psalm 57. I began to read. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings... Will I make my refuge? When I read that right there, and I could picture myself sitting in that seat, flying across the Atlantic Ocean, literally under the shadow of the wings of God. I didn't think anymore that, you know, that, that the plane was about to crash and the Lord had just saved David Crawford. I stopped thinking that when I read that verse right there. And I admit to you, at, at the time that I read that all those years ago, I didn't really know the context like I know today of how David wrote it, when he wrote it, I really didn't know. But it brought great comfort to me. You know what I was doing? That I didn't realize it. I was hiding myself in the praises of God. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, and even if that plane had crashed, I'd still be trusting and living under the shadow of the wings of God. <laughs> I'm happy to tell you that it didn't crash. And we went on and were able to be reunited in Tanzania about eight days later. But that was such a comfort to me. And that entire trip, I came back to that psalm. That was like the psalm that was the theme for me while I was there by myself in that country. And I think I've shared with you before, the experience there in the country was not the best because of some things that were going on among the people that we were uh, meeting and teaching. But the Lord hid me in those praises. And child of God... If you'll hide yourself in the praises of God, it's a beautiful and incredible experience. He goes on and he says, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. David is saying that whenever all of the resources of this world have been used up and there's nowhere else to turn that I can access help here in this world, he shall send from heaven. I'll read you a quote from one of my favorite commentators. This is from the book of Crawford, edited slightly by McCool, regarding this verse. When the springs of earth have run dry and the weapons of this world are rendered useless and ineffective... He will send from heaven. He will open the battlements of heaven and devastate our enemies. So we look to heaven from whence cometh our help. <laughs> see, that's how God works. You say, well, there's no possibility that we can see a way forward in this situation or whatever it is that I'm facing. 
When we look up, we must remember that God can send from heaven. He is not bound. And who knows? Maybe he's been waiting for you to look up. That's exactly what's going on here with David. David ran away. David got the holy bread to eat. David got the weapon of the enemy to, uh, to defend himself with. And he goes to the foreign nation and he acts like a fool down there in front of the foreign king and all of the army of the foreign king. But David finally looks up. And the Lord sends from heaven. He provides a place for his family to be safe. He provides a place for David to continue to hide in the Lord and be sheltered from the, the deranged onslaught of Saul. You see, that's what God does. He sends from heaven. Don't ever forget that, child of God. This idea that the Lord is far off and doesn't really have any you know, impact now, that He doesn't really intervene in the affairs of men now, don't ever believe that. Because he does. He is a God that is a very present help in time of need. That David also said that. He shall send from heaven. And when the springs of earth have run dry and the weapons of this world are rendered useless, he will send from heaven. He will open the battlements of heaven. Now, I emphasize all of this because I want you to see what's about to happen in the life of David. Back over in 1 Samuel 22. And I know you can't believe it, but we're going to get to the end of 1 Samuel 22. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But let's pick up in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 22. And remember, David is now ascended into the high forest of Hareth, about a mile north of Keilah, up in the mountains. And things are good there. He's safe. He's living, hiding in the praises of God. The light of the love of the Lord is upon him. But that's not the way that it is everywhere. Down, way down in the valley, somewhere far away. Verse 6, when Saul heard that David was discovered, or it was found out where David was, and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him. Now I want you to notice the difference between what's going on with Saul and what's going on with David. And think about it. Who do you want to be with? Saul says, Here now, ye Benjamites, Will the son of Jesse, that's a reference to David, give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. He's talking about Jonathan and David. It has now reached the ears of Saul that Jonathan and David are in league together. Not to overthrow the kingdom, but to be friends with one another at all costs. I tell you, that's a, that's a good league to make. That's a good covenant to make. To be friends with one another at all costs. No matter how good times are and that kind of float us away from where we came from and no matter how bad times are that kind of jerk us away from the foundations that we've built. Just to be friends with God's people. And to be friendly. He says, there is none of you that is sorry for me. Boy, Saul is in a rough state, isn't he? Or showeth unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. That is not true. That is a total lie. David is not lying in wait to take over the kingdom. David's already the king. He's just having to stay away from Saul until Saul is out of the way. Now verse 9. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul. And if you read in the previous chapter, this is the guy that I mentioned. There was some foreshadowing there. When David came to the priest and he said, have you got any food? Have you got any weapons? This man, Doeg, who was the chief of the herdsmen of Saul, 
He's also an Edomite, which means he's a foreigner. He's not an Israelite. This man was standing by and at least heard some or saw part of what took place when David was talking with the priest about getting food and about getting weapons. And, and David also lied, remember? David said, when the priest said, what are you doing here? David said, I'm on a mission from Saul. That was a total lie. And so here is this man popping up again. This is one of those infamous guys of the Scripture. This is somebody you don't want to be like, somebody you don't want to follow. And so Doeg, this herdsman of Saul, he says, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. You know, Saul has just said, is there nobody here that's on my side? Of course, they were with him there. They were all on his side because they're mostly Benjamites. And Saul was a Benjamite. And so Saul is in the mully grubs and he's deranged and he's fussing at them. And Doeg says, I've got some information for you. I saw the son of Jesse come to Nob, the city of Nob, and there spoke to the priest. Now what's the lie that Doeg propagates right here? And the priest inquired of the Lord for him. If you've read that, you know that's not the case. The, the priest did not inquire of the Lord for David. Now he did give him victuals, food, and he gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, verse 10. That's true, he did do that. So you see, Doeg is propagating a conspiracy before Saul. Like there's something going on between David and the priest and it's all a conspiracy and they're going to come against Saul and destroy him. This man is a liar. This man is a usurper. This man is a conspirator himself. And so I'm not going to read the rest of this, but if you think about the difference of what's going on up in the high forest there where David is hiding in the praises of God, down here in the valley, down here at another location, you've got Saul who is interacting with this wicked man, this liar, who, who hurls an accusation against the priest who didn't even do anything. And so Saul calls and says, call them to me. Get those priests over here right now. And so Saul, when the priest comes, begins to accuse the priest of conspiracy. Notice down in verse 14, after the priest is accused of conspiracy, the priest, Himelech, answers and said, who is so faithful among all those servants? All your servants as David. There's nobody among your servants more faithful than David which is the king's son-in-law. Don't forget, David's married to the daughter of the king. And he goeth at thy bidding and is honorable in thine house. Did I then begin to inquire to God for him? Be it far from me. Ahimelech says, I didn't inquire of God for him. Maybe he should have. <laughs> but he didn't. Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. You know, you got basically a court case going on here. And Saul has said to Ahimelech, you're guilty before you're proven innocent. That's the opposite of the way it is. You're, you know, you're innocent before proven guilty. But Saul says you're guilty just because this liar over here said that you inquired of the Lord and you did all this for David. Like he had some kind of nefarious intent there. And so the priest says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then deranged Saul says, you're a dead man. And you know, you know how sin just compounds upon itself? When you put sin on top of sin, what does it do? It just makes more sin, right? And so Saul is angry at this priest. And all the priests have come. It's about 80 of them. 
These are the men that are in charge of carrying on the worship in the house of God. And so Saul says to his servants, he says, look, kill them. Them, not just the high priest, kill them all. He's just compounding sin upon sin. You see where Saul is? He is so far out of the will of God, it's not even funny. He's about to put to death the priests of God. And Saul looks at his men and he says, kill them. And the men won't do it. They won't do it. They knew better. They knew better than to go after these 80 priests of God. So you can already see how Saul's influence and leadership or lack of it is completely falling apart. They won't do it. You know, the old saying, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Doeg will do it. This liar who's lied about Ahimelech, who's lied about the priests, he says, I'll do it. Y'all picture that. There's 80 priests lined up there, Ahimelech at the head of them. Doeg takes his sword. I don't know. I'm sure they're probably down on their knees. They probably got them down on their knees like with swords and spears, you know, at spear point. And Doeg just takes his sword. He just got, goes through there and just starts hacking them to pieces. Kills 80. He kills the entire priesthood that was em- employed in the, in the worship of God, in the service of God, in the feasts of God at that time. He, he k- kills all of them except for one. You'll read about him in a minute. But he kills all of them. Now look, I want you to think about this. Think about the difference between David up and here you've got Saul down here who is deranged and out of his mind. He's under the clutches of Satan. And what does he do? He misses the point. He goes after the wrong. There was, there was nobody to go after in this circumstance, you see? But Saul is so deranged that he goes after the priest because he's mad and he's jealous and he kills all of the priests. That's a lesson for us that when we get in the clutches of Satan, we're always going to attack the wrong thing. You know that? Always. When Satan holds influence over you, look, it can be as simple as this. I know y'all can't believe it, but every now and then, I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You know, a good idea would be, if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, get back in the bed and get up on the other side. I know y'all can't believe it. And I know y'all can't believe it, but every now and then, you know, when I go to work, I don't have the best day. Can y'all identify with that? Some days at work, you know, things just don't go my way. And, you know, inevitably, when I come home or when I get up in the morning on the wrong side of the bed, you know, I, I, I might bark like a dog just a little bit. And I, I don't mean literally, but, you know, I may start barking a little bit, you know, gruff and rough. And, of course, you know, the person that is the dearest and the closest to me in this entire world is my sweet wife. And then sometimes she'll say, you know, what are you barking at me for? <laughs> I mean, we just got up. Did you, you know... Did something happen in a dream at night? Or, you know, that is misplaced anger. That's misplaced accusation. You see, she hasn't done anything. I'm just in a bad mood. I bark at her because I'm in a bad mood or I got up on the wrong side of the bed or something didn't go my way at work. You know what I ought to do in those moments? I ought to hide myself in the praises of God. Go out and walk around for a little while. Find the praises of God. Hide myself. Fake it till I make it. Get in the praises of God and then come back and not be such a sourpuss, you see? That's what I ought to do. Do I do that every time? Absolutely not. And if you're sitting there shaking, nodding your head, you know you don't either. (laughs) But it would be the good thing to do if you could. See, I, I attack somebody that is not even at fault. So you say, well, who's at fault in that situation? Me. It's me. You know, I found the enemy, and it's me. 
to a horrible degree. That's what Saul is doing. He is attacking the wrong people because he's under the influence of Satan. So while all of this great, amazing, spirit-led praise is going on in a place far away, Saul is down here and Doeg is under the influence of Saul and slaughters all the priests. You say, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. It gets worse. It gets worse. After the priests are slaughtered, the king says, or the deranged king, the removed king, he says, go to the city of Nob. Listen to verse 19. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Are you kidding me? Not only did he murder 80 of the priests, he went and wiped out, he committed genocide against the entire town of the priests, their babies, their wives, everyone was slaughtered. And I know you're sitting there thinking, there's absolutely no way that this man, Saul, could be a child of God. Well, I'm just telling you, Saul's in heaven today, not because of all of this mess, and not because there was some goodness about him, but because he was a chosen child of God. And if you think a chosen child of God can't get off under the clutches of Satan, then you better watch out. You might be next. You can. This is horrible what Saul does. It's terrible what he does. He totally misses the point. And he goes and he attacks the town and he destroys the priests. And it says, one of the sons of Ahimelech, one of the murdered priest's sons, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Somehow this, boy, this, this young man who was a priest heard that David's hiding out in the high forest of Hareth up above Keilah. And so he in tears and anguish, his whole family has been wiped out. He's alone. His wife is not even with him. If he had children, the children are dead. And he manages to crawl out of the city and survives and makes his way up into the high forest of Hareth there to encounter David. And Abiathar showed David, this is verse 21, that Saul had slain the Lord's priests and David said unto Abiathar, now this would be great if we could hear this coming out of politicians' mouths. It would be great if we could hear it coming out of our own mouths. You know, admissions of fault. I did wrong. You know, it feels good to say that. Do you know that? For a child of grace, it feels good to say, I was wrong. I did wrong. You know, if you're like Brother Tim and you get up on the wrong side of the bed and you start barking and, and saying things you shouldn't say and taking it out on somebody you shouldn't take it out, it feels so good to go back and say, I'm sorry. You know, I got up on the wrong side of the bed. I wasn't mad at you. I had a bad day at work. You know, it's, it's so good to hear confession. It's so good for you. The proverb says that he that forsaketh and confesseth his sins shall find mercy. And David doesn't, you know, pass it off on somebody else. David doesn't say, oh, well, you know, this really wasn't my fault. Or figure out some weird way to explain away the mistake that he made. He said, what's the mistake? He should have never gone to Abiath. He should have never gone to Ahimelech. He should have never got the holy bread. He should have never got the sword of Goliath. He should have never gone down to Gath. He should have never scrabbled on the doors and acted like a madman. He should have went off into the cave and engaged in the praises of God. That's where he should have been all the time. But praise God, David is a man that will admit his faults. I tell you, that is a noble way to be. David says to Abiathar, I knew it that day. I knew it. When Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. 
I tell you, that had to be a tremendous burden to bear. Eighty priests are dead because of David's move. David's mistake. An entire town is wiped out. Women and children including. All the animals are dead because David made a mistake. I tell you, if there's one quality about David that, that, that you can say about him is he confessed his faults. Is that not what we read in the New Testament? He says, confess your faults one to another. It's healthy to do that. It enriches relationships. You might say, well, I've just done too much. I've just gone too far. I'm sure David felt that way too. Watch what he says in verse 23. Abide with me. He says this to the last living priest. I don't know if he was the on, I don't think he was the only Levite, because there were a lot of other Levites, but as far as the priesthood goes, he was the last active priest. There's one preacher left. There's one. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Listen. The word safeguard right there is a very interesting word. This is the definition of safeguard. Shepherds constructed corrals of briars and thorns at night to protect the flock from predators. This word is taken from the thorns and briars that were used to construct a makeshift corral. You think about that, David, what was he? He was a shepherd. So he knows what he's saying when he says safeguard. Many nights, no doubt, out in the fields as David watched over the flock of his father's sheep, he would go to the thorn bushes and he would take lengths of thorns and briars out of the bushes, lots of them, and he'd weave them together, probably so to where they were at least three or four feet high, and he would put the flock in the midst of that safeguard. So if any type of predator, like a coyote or a wolf or you know, a lion or, some, or a bear, would come around, they would have to sniff at those briars before they would actually go to the trouble of going into the flock and try to steal or take one of the sheep. That's what he's telling this broken-hearted priest. Come in here in this flock with me, and you'll find safeguard. God has got a shield of protection around us. God has sent me here up into this high forest and we can be safe here together. So I want you to think about this. Since David has started living in the praises of God and hiding in the praises of God, you remember he's got a prophet with him now. A fellow named Gad. Gad the prophet said, go up into the forest of Hareth. He's got Gad with him now. And now after this great horrible tragedy where all the priests have been killed except for one, Guess who's with David now? The priest. The last living priest. David's got the prophet, and David's got the priest. And as we close our thoughts here this morning, I'm going to share with you the psalm that David wrote when he received notice that this happened with Doeg killing the priest. It's Psalm 52. If you notice the heading of Psalm 52, it says, To the chief musician... A psalm of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. 
This is the psalm that was born out of the fires of Doeg's evil anger and, and killing of the priests. You know, how would you like that to have a song written about you because you were so evil? That's what this psalm is. And he wrote it up in the high forest there when he was hiding in the praises of God. Listen to what he says. This entire song is about Doeg who killed the priests. Why boasteth thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Say la. Thou lovest all devouring words. O thou deceitful tongue, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Say la. Notice the language. Pluck thee out, root thee out like a tree or a plant is rooted out. That's what's going to happen to Doeg. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusteth in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I, David says, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever. Because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. This is David's reaction to the murder of the priests. This is David's reaction to the destruction of Nob. He goes to praise God. I tell you, that's a great reaction, is it not? Oftentimes, whenever things don't go our way, or maybe politics don't go our way, or the things around us in the world don't go our way, we tend to want to shake our fist at everything. But David praised God in the midst of that terrible tragedy that cannot be sugarcoated. That's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. It does not sugarcoat things. It tells you exactly like it is exactly what they did the, the, the true story of just how bad things were and in the midst of all of that trouble and that trial and that tragedy David is hiding in the praises of God y'all see that? so child of God you have to get up into the praises of God you understand that? they don't just drop down on you the phrase I've used for years is fake it till you make it we've usually used that in terms of forgiveness you know Fake it till you make it. But at the same time, just let the praises of God come out of your mouth instead of barking and devouring and biting. Let the praises of God come out of your mouth because He is praiseworthy. Get up in the praises of God and you will experience hiding in the shadow of His wings. Think about David now. David has the prophet. David has the priest. David has the praises of God. And Saul has judgment coming. He's just making it worse and compounding sin on top of sin. But David is hiding in the praises of God, trusting in the shadow of his wings. I told you the primary application of trusting in the shadow of the wings. We, we usually think about the eagle, which is an incredible, majestic bird. You know, there's not really much majestic about a chicken, right? <laughs> I tell you, I spent a whole lot of my life around those brainless birds I've seen some crazy things that, that chickens and roosters and hens do. You know, at one point when we were at our peak on the cool farm there, we probably had 120,000, you know, at one time, at any given time. That's a lot of brainless birds. But don't ever forget this. Trusting under the shadow of God's wings can also have an application to the mother hen, the mother chicken. Jesus himself said in Matthew 23 and 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, how often 
would I have gathered thy children, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. We didn't have baby chicks coming up with mother hens growing up. You know, we just had the brainless wonders that were brought and just, you know, we fed them until they got big and then the integrator came and took them. But if you've ever observed a mother hen, yeah, but you can Google this, you can YouTube it, it's, it's pretty interesting. When those chicks get under the wings of that mother hen, you cannot see them. They are hidden. And then the next thing you know, eight, ten chicks come out from under that mother hen. You're like, How does she get all those hens under there? I'll leave you with this story. Our neighbor across the way, been there for generations, he told me the story of his grandfather who they had yard birds, you know, hens and roosters and whatever. And so on one particular day, this neighbor had a fire to get out in the field. If you know where I live, this would be the field, as you drive up to my house, it would be the field just over the fence to the left. So this was years ago. This was 100 years ago. And so the fire got out in the field, and of course the, the chickens scattered, you know, and they're not the smartest things at all. You know, they, a lot of them kind of went in a direction where they couldn't get away. So this one particular hen, my neighbor told me, had about seven or eight chicks that were following her out as the fire continued to go through the field, grass fire. And so the last time he saw the hen before the fire got to her, you know, he, he saw, well, you know, there goes. You know, back in those days, it, it wasn't just, oh, well, we'll write that off. You know, that's food and so forth. So after the fire passed over, my neighbor, his grandfather, went out surveying the damage of the fire and seeing, you know, it, it, the grass will grow back, no doubt. But as he went on through, he came to the mother hen, the dead mother hen. And she was laid there, burnt, you know, blackened over as he walked up to the hen. And he just walked up to her and he just kicked her, just kicked the dead bird. And when he kicked her, all seven of those little chicks started scattering about, all seven. They may be dumb animals, dumb birds, but that's pretty smart, isn't it? That mother hen hid those six or seven chicks underneath her wings while the fire burned over her and killed her. And those little chicks survived. I'm telling you, child of God, the Lord has hid you from the fires of judgment. The Lord has hid you from the fires of this world. But you need to get under those wings. You hear me? When the fires come, don't go start raving crazy, deranged, mad like Saul did and start slaughtering people around you. Go and get under the shadow of the wings of God and hide in the praises of God until the tempest, until the fire is passed. You think that doesn't apply to you, then you're not thinking right. It does apply to you, and it applies to me. So we come to the end of chapter 22. Finally, I know you're so glad. But I believe that this, that David does, sets the tone for the rest of David's life, whether things are going good or whether things are going bad. When David is hiding in the praises of God, God is hiding David in his praises. But when David is doing things that he should not do and thinking things that he should not think, he's getting burned by the fires of persecution and the fires of this world. I'll leave you with these few lines. And I call this hiding in the praises of God. David fled when King Saul sought his life. Never asked the Lord where he should go. When he came to the cave, he found rest. God hid him in praises from his foes.
They're hiding in the praises of God, resting in the shadow of His wings, living in the light of His love, singing praises to the King of Kings. There are times when I feel Him right here. There are times when He seems far away. But I know when I'm broken, He's near. He's promised never to leave nor forsake. So I'm hiding in the praises of God. I'm resting in the shadow of His wings. I'm living in the light of His love, singing praises to my God and my King. Child of grace, the next time you get up on the wrong side of the bed, or the next time the fire is coming to overtake you, hide in the praises of God. Rest under the shadow of His wings. You will never regret it when you do, and you will have a special experience with the Son of God in the midst of those difficult times.